Let's pray together. God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This Easter season, we have been focusing on scripture passages that allow us to see a fuller picture of the resurrected Christ and how we can continue to see the world through this lens of resurrection. And while our passage for today happens to take place before the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the words that Jesus shares with his disciples are about events that will take place once he is no longer with them. Today's passage is part of the chapters in the Gospel of John that are known as the Farewell Discourse. Beginning in chapter 14 and continuing through chapter 17, these chapters happen immediately after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and they have observed the Passover meal, but they also happen before Jesus is arrested and betrayed. In these chapters, Jesus is doing all that he can to share his final words and teachings with his disciples. He is eagerly trying to impart any wisdom that he has left and to prepare the disciples for what is to come next. To give you a quick idea about what has happened so far in this chapter, in the 22 verses that happened before our focus for today, the opening chapters of John 14 are filled with questions from the disciples. They are beginning to realize that the day that Jesus will no longer be with them is fast approaching. For so much of their journey, Jesus has been saying, one day I will no longer be with you, but now that one day has shifted to be in just a few hours. With this awareness, it makes sense that the disciples are panicking a little bit about what they are going to do when Jesus is no longer with them. And in typical Jesus form, he offers them a slightly vague yet important promise about what will happen once he is gone. In verse 26, Jesus promises that the advocate, a comforter, a counselor, a helper, will come to be with the disciples. And this helper is the Holy Spirit, and she has an important role to play as the third and final member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit will continue to teach the disciples and reveal things to them, but the Spirit will also remind the disciples of the things that they have already learned, just in case the disciples have forgotten some of the things that Jesus has been teaching them over the past few years. I do have to admit that I find it a little humorous that Jesus, even in his last days and last hours, and as he is preparing for the worst hours of his life, Jesus still knows that the disciples are going to need a little bit of extra help once he is gone. And not just the disciples that were gathered in that room with Jesus who had spent the last few years traveling with him around the Holy Land, but all of the disciples that have come in the years and the centuries following Jesus' life on earth. Jesus knew that even 2,000 years later, we might need God's presence to nudge us from time to time and to help remind us that we are not alone. The thing that gives me the most comfort in this passage is the promise that even though we might not be able to see or touch her, we can trust that the Holy Spirit is there. At the beginning of the passage, Jesus shares that he and God will make their home with those who love them. This phrase, make their home with, is one of John's favorite themes throughout his gospel. 
In Greek, the word is monain, and it means to abide with or to dwell with, to settle down and share life with. Throughout scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, we see examples of God dwelling with God's people. In Genesis, God tells Abram and Sarai to get up and to move everything that they have known and to go to a new place. And in the process of them doing this, Abram and Sarai learned that God was not only dwelling in the place they had come from, but that God was dwelling in the place that they had yet to reach. When Moses led the Israelites in the wilderness, God went before them like a cloud of smoke and a pillar of fire as they journeyed. When Elijah stood on a mountain, the prophet discovered that God can be found in the stillest, quietest moments, just as much as God can be found in fires and earthquakes. This theme of God dwelling among us continues in the New Testament. God could no longer be contained to the heavens any longer, and so God decides to come to earth in the form of a man, and that man dwelled among us, as we read in John chapter 1. And now that it is time for this man to no longer dwell among us, it didn't mean that God would no longer dwell here on earth. It just means that a different expression of God would dwell with us. And that is why we are given the promise of the Holy Spirit, so that we, thousands of years later, can trust that in all places and all times, even though we can't see it, God is dwelling with us. Jesus then gives the disciples another gift. He offers them a gift of peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't let them be afraid. The disciples may not have known how terrifying the next few days were going to be for them, but Jesus knew. He sticks with his message of promising that the disciples will one day understand what he is saying. The reminder that they have been given, this reminder of peace that passes all understanding and this constant, never-departing presence of the Holy Spirit. This week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I posted on a few different social media platforms and asked the question, what does peace feel like to you? And here's some of the answers I got, some that are from members of this church and some that are from complete strangers on the internet and I have no idea who they are and that's how the internet works. What does peace feel like to you? Being still with God, singing an exquisite piece of choral music, holding a sleeping baby, enjoying God's creation, being free from fear and anxiety, going to the beach early in the morning and just listening to the waves. A deep exhale right before you fall asleep. Accepting and loving myself as the person God made me to be. Now as I read these answers, I loved that there was so much variety in them because peace feels differently to each of us just depending on who we are or what group we are a part of. And this can be a gift because it means that each of us can find peace in the ways that our spirit needs it most. But this can also be a challenge when there are differing ideas of how peace can be found and peace can be accomplished. Peace for one person or group can very easily look like oppression for another. We don't, get to get very, we don't have to get very far into a news feed or watch very long on the evening news to see differing opinions of what peace looks like in this world. The Greek word that is used for peace in this passage is irene. 
This word has the same meaning as the Hebrew word, which will probably sound a little more familiar to you. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in Hebrew, shalom doesn't just mean to have an absence of conflict. In Hebrew, the word shalom means to have a profound and holistic sense of well-being. So I want to jump back to the last answer I read from this question about what peace feels like. Someone gave the answer, accepting and loving myself as the person God made me to be. Now, I don't know the person who gave this answer. It was a complete stranger. But it seems to me that their answer to my question could be defined as shalom. I do think that the biggest challenge for us when it comes to finding shalom or peace within ourselves is that we do have to find peace within ourselves. Once we find this inner peace and the very being of our soul is connected and in tune with the presence of God, then we are able to find ways to bring shalom to the world around us. But finding peace within us is not always easy or as simple as we might like it to be. And sometimes we can't find it on our own or do it by ourselves. I mentioned earlier in the service that the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we heard from Melissa this morning and the work that the VPCC is doing as they help individuals to be the best and most whole people that they can be. While they don't necessarily advertise the work they do in this way, I imagine that people like Melissa and others who provide care in the mental health field are trying to help their patients find a sense of peace. Whether it is peace in a relationship or peace with something that they have experienced in their past or peace that comes with living in this world today, my experience and the experience that others have shared with me is that so often when we are feeling lost or anxious or sad or lonely, it's because there is something in our minds or our spirits or our hearts that isn't at peace. And so on a Sunday, when we are trying to figure out how we can discover the kind of peace that Jesus gave his disciples and the kind of peace that Jesus offers to us, it seems appropriate to acknowledge the importance of mental health as well as spiritual and physical health. I am grateful that over the last decade or so, the stigma that sometimes is associated with therapy and counseling and mental health seems to be getting less and less. In previous churches where I have served, and also in this church, it is not uncommon for teenagers to talk openly about the fact that they have counselors or that their friends are receiving help. In the world of online dating, my single friends and I joke that if an individual has on their profile that they see a therapist, that person jumps to the top of the potential yes list much more quickly than it would have happened 15 years ago. Many of my married friends see marriage counselors, and it's not because they are in crisis in their marriage, but rather that they want to avoid getting into crisis and they're being proactive. The topic of mental health is becoming more a part of our everyday conversations, and it is not something that is just whispered about behind closed doors. So let me just put it out there into the universe that I am the proud owner of a sticker that says, it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. If you come to me and you share your struggles with mental health, I will listen and I will pray with you and I will do whatever I can to support you as you seek the help that you need. I will advocate and encourage you to find a therapist because I am a firm believer that everyone would be better if they were in therapy. 
and I will support you in the decision to take medication that you or your doctor or therapist have recommended. I too have had seasons of my life where my mental health needed extra support through counseling and medication, and I'm not ashamed or embarrassed to admit that, because there is nothing wrong with asking for help when you need it and reaching out to someone to help you be a better and more fuller version of yourself. I am a firm believer that God calls people to be therapists just as God calls people to be pastors, and that the same God who helps scientists discover how to cure diseases and provide treatments for illnesses is the same God who teaches scientists how to discover medicines that can help bring balance to things that are happening in our brains. I believe that the God who knows each of us by name and who sees us as beloved children wants for each of us to be free of pain and struggle and wants us to know that we are not alone. I think that is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples before he leaves them, that no matter where they go or where they find themselves and whatever it is that they are doing, they don't ever have to face the world alone or face a situation with fear and anxiety. Jesus first gives the disciples the promise of the Holy Spirit so that they will know wherever they go and whatever they do, they are accompanied by God the Spirit who will remind them of the things that Jesus taught them. And then Jesus offers the gift of peace so that they know that they do not need to be afraid because they have the Holy Spirit with them on their journey. These two gifts, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of peace, are so deeply intertwined in this final teaching of Jesus. Jesus knows that if we trust in the Spirit and we allow her to abide within us, then soon we will be able to encounter a peace and discover shalom in our spirit. And when we have found peace with ourselves, then we can be even more in tune with the ways that the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives and be open to the places where the Spirit is leading us. And as we trust the Spirit, we come, become more at peace with ourselves, and the cycle goes on and on. I would like to encourage you this week to try and find a moment of peace. That might be easier said than done. I would like to encourage you to maybe try and find five moments of peace if you can. See if you can find an opportunity to take a moment and to be still and to be open to the ways that the Spirit is moving within you. You might not notice anything the first or second or third time that you find yourself sitting still and seeking God's peace, but don't be discouraged. Keep trying. I hope that if you are able to find these moments of peace, that you will become more aware of the things that God is stirring in your soul and in your mind. Take notice of them, and if there are things that seem to pop up over and over again, and you think it would be helpful to talk with someone about these things that keep repeating themselves, go do it. Or if you can sit and offer these things to God, and you can see if anything is revealed as you practice letting God carry them for just a little while. My hope is that if we each become more aware of the Spirit's presence in our own lives, and we each begin to feel a deep sense of peace, then as a community of faith, we will become more aware of the ways that the Spirit is moving among us as a church. And when we work to discover the work that the Spirit is doing in us as a congregation, then we can move forward in confidence, trusting that the God of peace, the Son of Irene, and the Spirit of Shalom will be ever present with us 
guiding us and reminding us that we are never on this journey alone. May we trust in what we cannot see and know that the God that journeyed with the prophets and the Israelites and the disciples is the same God who journeys with us today. And for that we say, thanks be to God. Amen.